I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. In this episode, I am going to talk about why you find a bunch of weak men in orbit around some alpha guru-like guy and why that should matter to you. One of the defining characteristics of weak men is that they are orbiters. They are desperate for direction and validation. They have no clear mission in life, probably due to poor father relationships. Regardless, they orbit around two types of people, women and narcissistic larger-than-life male personalities. I like to call them alpha gurus. Why? Well, again, this is a function of their lacking direction and validation. In their mind, having a woman validates that they are a man, and having the approval of a father figure validates that they are a man. Hence, they are on a desperate quest to get both. They think if they show devotion to these types of people, they will receive reciprocal love. Not so. This is why so many white knight nice guys end as bitter men. They told women that they are brave, stunning, and beautiful. They defend them against nasty detractors. They showed undying loyalty to their alpha guru and defend him against nasty detractors. And now they'll get the approval that they deserve, right? Nope, not at all. Because the relationship, again, isn't reciprocal. Women don't respect weak men, and neither do alpha gurus. At best, both will use them, especially the latter. And that's who I want to talk to you about, alpha gurus. They're on the rise, in the manosphere, in churches, everywhere. They're filling the vacuum created by fatherlessness. Fatherlessness results in weak men who are hungry for approval from a strong man, which is why you find harems of beta males in orbit around some alpha guru who functions as their tribal chieftain. These weak men are desperate for their chieftain's approval. You see this in the clamor of fanboys on Twitter looking to get a retweet or a like from some manosphere personality, and you definitely see it in the church. Men, fatherless men, men from bad homes, are very vulnerable to the manipulations of an alpha guru. So here are some thoughts on manipulators. Manipulators can be benevolent. And not just benevolent as a camouflage for their manipulation, it's real. However, their benevolence is directly tied to your willingness to push forward their agenda. Now, there is a sense in which this is true of everyone. I love those who are in the trenches with me. And the fact that we share a common mission feeds and strengthens that love. If an individual was to shift their mission and move to a different skirmish line, it would lessen my affection for them. I think this is natural. The more we share in common, the greater the communal bond and vice versa. There is, however, a difference with the benevolent manipulator. Their love isn't conditioned on your mutual interests. It's conditioned on your interests in their agenda, and their agenda is always centered on their person. This they do camouflage, perhaps subconsciously. You think you're in co-orbit with someone around a shared and greater mission. In reality, the manipulator wants you to be in orbit around them. They are the agenda. And again, this can be hard to discern when it's happening. There are some major tells, and they usually show themselves when you attempt to correct this orbital imbalance. Here's a few of them. First, they will often question your loyalty and do so slyly. 
Manipulators emphasize a particular type of loyalty, loyalty to person more so than principles. They do this a lot of ways. One method I've noticed is what I call the Jewish mother technique. This is where they talk endlessly how everyone leaves them or betrays them or doesn't appreciate them or is ashamed of them and on and on it goes. You, of course, don't want to belong to that group of disloyal malcontents. Hence, the importance of loyalty to their person is emphasized through a form of negative enforcement. Second, they will often poison the well when it comes to anyone that might rival their gravitational pool. Manipulators are experts at cultivating a scarcity mindset in others. They want you to believe that they are the only one who can get you something that you really want. That something may be love, approval, orthodoxy, vocational opportunities, or whatever. I've seen them use two tactics in tandem to create a scarcity mindset in individuals. First, they'll dangle the carrot of that something just out of your reach. They use it to steer you. It's always so close. Maybe they even let you have a nibble of the carrot. However, it's always conditioned on you staying on the course they've plotted for you. Divert and the carrot goes away. Then comes the stick. But that's not the second tactic I have in mind. Second, They seek to convince you that they are the only ones with the carrot. No one else has it. Scarcity. Get it? Just them. To do this, they have to convince you that all the other carrots you see out there are actually poisoned. Yes, they may look like perfectly fine carrots, they assure you. But it's all show. They are the only ones that have what you want and or need. And you have no other options. This, of course, is almost always false. There are an abundance of opportunities out there. Plenty of real love, approval, orthodox churches, vocational opportunities, and so forth. But that's a reality. A manipulator must skew or else they lose control. Chess masters need chess pieces. Now, third, they will try to convince you that any concerns you have or actions you do which don't align with their agenda spring forth from some personal weakness. A tactic of manipulators is to mostly focus on the subjective. They'll try to make everything about what they claim is going on inside you, as opposed to actual words and actions. They'll do this both with you and themselves. With you, they'll make much of what they claim to be your sinful motives, intentions, and emotions. With themselves, they'll make much of what they claim to be their innocent and noble motives, intentions, and emotions. Why? Well, because it's easier to revise intentions than it is to revise actual events. This allows them to spin everyone's action in a way that best fits a narrative that will allow them to sidestep responsibility. You'll hear phrases like, where is this mistrust coming from? Haven't I loved you? When have we ever misled you? I'm bothered that you feel this way. Don't take the bait. It's a trap. Reply with something like, well, let's come back to that and first deal with the issue at hand. It's simple. Stay on target. Keep it objective. Manipulators want you to move into the realm of suspicions. By the way, it isn't immoral to make appeals to past affections and loyalties. In Galatians 4, Paul says, For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? But you must recognize that this isn't a blind appeal to emotions. It's an appeal sandwiched in between powerful, rational, and scriptural arguments. Paul isn't saying, just trust me. No, that's the realm of manipulators and frauds. They'll use all these tactics to realign you to their mission. If it works, you'll be back, but probably with an asterisk. 
If it doesn't work, they'll be done with you and warn other people about you. They'll call you weak, disgruntled, rebellious, so forth. You will become the well, which must be poisoned. For the benevolent manipulator, it's an all-or-nothing sort of scenario. Anyone that's not with them is probably against them, or so they tell themselves and anyone stuck in their orbit. Now, manipulation never quite sits right. It's unsettling, even for a naive person. Consequently, manipulators won't get far without a band of enablers, that harem of beta males. The enablers are those who come to settle those who were unsettled by the manipulations of the manipulator. They're always dispelling concerns. They're always explaining how the manipulator was under a lot of pressure, just using hyperbole, or didn't really mean what they thought they heard him say. In a nutshell, they are the manipulator's advocate. You can't oppose manipulators without addressing their enablers. And of course, it's always best to start by addressing where you've been an enabler. Repent, apologize, and take responsibility for where you failed to shut down a manipulator. Now, there is a blurry boundary between being a godly persuader and an ungodly manipulator. Sometimes godly persuasion will come across as ungodly manipulation. Sometimes ungodly manipulation will be cloaked as godly persuasion. It's a tricky distinction that spouses, parents, pastors, and brothers must discern and navigate. Here's a few thoughts on how to do so. A persuader persuades by presenting reality as it is. They can allow all facts to be heard, and their case will still stand. Also, a persuader will adjust their arguments as new facts are presented. They do this because their main motivation is conformity to truth and not merely a personal agenda. A manipulator, however, manipulates reality to fit an agenda. They do this by carefully maximizing and minimizing aspects of reality towards the end of advancing an agenda. They are trying to align you to a principle, but align you to a person. So are you being a persuader or a manipulator? We'll ask. Why am I persuading this person to change their mind? Is it mainly for my benefit or their benefit? Have I listened to their reasoning for why they believe or behave as they do? Did I engage with their strongest points honestly or try to maneuver around them? You can apply these questions to a situation to determine whether you are being persuaded or manipulated. It's foolish to act like there isn't such a thing as manipulation. Proverbs warns about evil men and women who play on our weaknesses and temptations for their own sinful purposes. That's manipulation. However, it's also foolish to treat all persuasion as if it's manipulation. A lot of people like to play the manipulation card to evade legitimate corrective counsel. They posture themselves as merely a victim. Always the victim types and manipulators share this in common, self-protection. They won't budge an inch on any point if it means admitting that they are wrong. The manipulator will label those who don't go along with their agenda as rebellious, weak, or pitiful. In a similar way, the always victim type will label those who legitimately exercise authority or issue loving correction as manipulators, tyrants, or bullies. They are two sides of the same coin. Manipulators are victims with power. Victims are manipulators without power. This is why the oppressed can so quickly transform into the oppressors. Christian men take ownership for their sins and submit to the truth of God's word. In doing so, they avoid the ditches of being an always victim or a manipulator, and it helps them discern the difference between a godly father, a pastor, a friend, and a manipulative alpha guru.